What a decadent treat to be with you all. Some of the best musicians in our community come up and play so we can sing to God. It's just, it just really is a sweet part of the week. And it, it just reminds me of a wedding I was at just recently uh, up in the Northeast. And uh, at this wedding, we had this brunch. And it was a decadent brunch. It was, um, there were um, bacon-wrapped French toast, bacon-wrapped scallops, bacon-wrapped bacon. <laughs> there was uh, this bread with like a glaze over it, and just like, it kept going, and you're just like, how can I make room for this? So you eat that, and then you look up, and they have like this tower of donuts. And I'm a donut guy, so I was loving that. So you just think, okay, this is a slice of heaven right here. Then you look, and you see now they're roasting marshmallows because they're making s'mores. I'm like, how decadent is that? That was just amazing to experience that on the weekend. I just feel like that's a little bit what Sunday is like, worshiping. Sing together, community, hang out together, eat together, hear the good truth, the best thing in our lives together. So I just commend um, Sundays to you. really like them. And I, and I also commend to you to bring the goodness of Sunday out into the week. Let's remind each other of the gospel this week. Remind our wives, remind our children. Children, remind your parents even. Let's remind each other of this decadent gift that we have offered to us every day. Community, truth, fellowship, music, laughter, food. <coughs> Praise God. Well, the sermon title is spelunking for vindication. Some of you may be just saying, what is spelunking? It can also be called caving. Someone came up to me after last service and said, here's some pictures. I'm a caver, spelunker, whatever you want to call it. And basically the, the idea behind this is discovering an unseen world and the thrill of conquest. So people get down in these holes, and if you've been to Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico, you know a little bit about it, but it gets tighter. There's these, if you're claustrophobic, you may not be into it, but you go down into the ground, you squeeze through holes, and some of you may be saying, okay, it's not my cup of tea. Like, why are you going to go crawl around in a hole? And there, there's actually other reasons besides just the adventure. Uh, you can unearth interesting things could be a buried treasure from an ancient civilization. It's happened. Perhaps a brand new animal species never bef seen before on Earth. Or it could even be just like miles and miles of tunnel just to go through. So for spelunkers, this is a treasure to find any one of these things. The beauty underground. But the treasure we're going to speak of today coming out of 1 Samuel 22 is not going to be um, gold coins, or anything like that, but it's going to be vindication. God's vindication. Going down, 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 in order to receive vindication that comes from the one who is above. It's counterintuitive, great wealth by going down, but it's the truth. Augustine spoke of vindication in this way, Lord, deliver me from the lust of always having to vindicate myself. Isn't that true that we always were just yearning 
to vindicate ourselves, whether it's with our wives in a discussion, washing dishes, or whether it's with a traffic ticket, or whether someone disrespects you in some particular way, we just want to rise up to vindicate ourselves. Augustine said, Lord, deliver me from this, the lust. I have to be vindicated. I have to be seen in a particular way in the sight of men. So in this passage, ultimately, we see David doing the counterintuitive thing. He is the rightly anointed king, and he's going down, down, down into crevices and cracks and corners in order to receive vindication that comes from the Lord above. Now this message um, is actually less rooted in David's behavior and more in God's fulfillment of his prophetic word. God said, I will anoint you king. God said, these things will happen. So what God says is going to happen is going to happen regardless of what things look like around you. Regardless of your circumstances, God's way will unfold in the end. doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's going to happen. He's faithful to his word. So while David finds protection and provision down in these caves, Saul is just grasping, grasping for authority, for position, for autonomy, for dignity, for status. But all the while, if you looked at the graph, you'd see David going down and the Lord raising him up and Saul grasping, grasping, grasping and falling, falling, falling. Basically, put it in layman's terms, dance floor language, if you want to get up, you got to get down. <laughs> okay, I like to dance, so that makes sense to me. We're going to read the scripture you'd like to read along with me it's first samuel 22 just two verses one and two david departed from there and escaped to the cave of adullam and when his brothers and all his father's house heard it they went down there to him and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Heavenly Father, will you open the eyes of our hearts to the secret of being vindicated? We need you, Holy Spirit. We're no better than Augustine. We grasp we grasp and we fight and we lust to have others see us justified in our own terms. Open our eyes, illuminate your word, guard my mouth as I proclaim the goodness of your truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Any fight fans in the room? Boxing, MMA, okay. I see some heads saying no and some saying yes. Well, let me let you in on a little something. One of the greatest matches of all time is on the cusp of happening next month. Okay, oh. Floyd Mayweather 
the undisputed champion. I think his record's like 40, 42, and 0. Never defeated. Not only has he never been defeated, he's never even been knocked down. As a professional boxer, men who are trained to knock you down, never been knocked down. He's in retirement. He's going to come out of retirement to fight the fiery Irishman from Dublin, Colin McGregor. And this man's just tatted up. He's a beast. He came into the, to the UFC um, just bragging, braggadocious, just saying, I'm going to knock all y'all out. I'm going to be the king of this ring. And you know what? He actually backed it up. He dissected these guys. He's a master of landing those punches and grappling, ground and pound, all these things. So it's going to be interesting to see these two come together. Carl McGregor also uh, has held two consecutive belts, two different weight classes at the same time. So he's the king of the UFC right now, the mixed martial arts world. He's called out Mayweather, and they're going to fight to the tune of nine-figure payout each. So it's, it's something that people are taking note of. It's something unprecedented. But Floyd Mayweather, this guy, I, I'm, I'm kind of like looking at Floyd Mayweather because he's 40 years old like me, and I'm, and I'm rooting for him. But Floyd Mayweather's strategy to dominating in the ring, more than anything else, is his defensive game. Because if you can touch Mayweather, you're pretty good. What he does, this is his signature move. He lets you get him back into the corner. And when, you're in the, when, when he's in the corner, you're in the corner. Because as these guys, I mean, these are trained pugilists. These men are throwing punches fast, lightning, lightning speed. And Mayweather's like this, duck, dodge, left, right, duck. And the guy's wore out, and he realizes his gloves haven't touched anything. So he humiliates people by going down. His strategy is going down, which is also counterintuitive because when someone hits you or swings at you, the temptation is to stand up and to let them know who they're messing with. I got dignity. Look at me. But Floyd Mayweather says, no, I'm going down, 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 down. Now, I got to be honest, Floyd Mayweather can brag himself, so he's not our role model exactly here. But what I do like is his strategy of going down. So we all yearn for this vindication. But the way to it is not by raising up taller, getting on our tiptoes. It's by getting down, getting low. Much like the man of sorrows, King Jesus, who knew how to get low. I've often fought for my vindication. I mean, I've been in physical fights growing up in high school. If someone said something disrespectful to me, or one time I turned around and just backhanded a guy. Another time a guy stood and looked at me, and I just, one, one punch. Couldn't believe it. It's the only time that happened. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's other occasions. But guess what? Every time that happened, I was the loser. Because I was suspended, in school suspension, out of school suspension, I was watching my back, walking home from school. I was in danger because I stood up to vindicate myself. I wanted them to know that I am a man. I have value and I have dignity. And it never dignified me. It actually made me decrease. So 
there's one thing you get from this message today, I want it to be this, that because God's loving plan is at work behind scenes, we must refuse to vindicate ourselves in any form or fashion. Because God is so loving and he's always at work behind the scenes. There's thousands of years of records of it. We must refuse to vindicate our own selves. Got three points we're going to look at today. How can we do this? We can learn from some of the examples in the scripture by looking at the king of the cave, by looking at the people of the cave, and by looking at the Christ of the cave. We can learn this secret to refuse vindication by watching the King David of the cave, the people of the cave, and the Christ of the cave. So, stepping into chapter 22, verse 1, if you were to go back in time, boom, what are you to see? You see a man with a crazed look in his eye, like a convict, on the lamb, running, spittle running down his beard. His beard is a sponge of saliva. The man is desperate, clothes stained, ripe with the smell of sweat. And to see this guy, if you were transported back in time, you'd think, what did you do to get yourself in this situation? But in reality, this David was the most legitimate man in the kingdom of Israel the most legitimate ruler. He was anointed by the prophet. He was favored in battle, victorious warrior. He had received the king's daughter as a wife and was invited to the king's home to live as a son-in-law and a captain. But this decorated man of dignity is a slobbering, fool of a man. You see, in the previous chapter, he had just came from the presence of a king, King Achish, who was in a neighboring region, hoping to find some, some comfort and some hideout there working for him. But when he was discovered, oh, this is David, this is that guy. He was quick on his feet. So what he did is he started drooling and slobbering, and those doors were open to the king's room and he david came in like a lunatic because in those days there was believed that lunatics had prophetic powers so david was quick on his feet he got in there and was acting like this crazed man and the king says have i enough crazy men in my own court send him out <laughs> we're good i have enough crazy people around me some of you might feel like that so david Leaves, he gets away again. So, verse 1, this is who we see of the, the most decorated man in Israel, David, departing, escaping. Where does he do? Where does he go? He can't go to his palace. He can't go to his wife. He can't go to his home. He can't go to his best friend. Where does he go? 
he goes to a cave. He goes spelunking. I mean, the temptation for a man of this dignity and stature would be to stand up and say, no, do you know who I am? I mean, he's not a chump. He's not afraid. We saw him face Goliath, and he said to Goliath, who are you to come against the people of Israel? So he's not afraid, but he's honoring a higher authority, that of God, who has placed King Saul in his position. So David is looking to a higher authority than himself, so he hides and gets little in a cave. He gets low. He goes down. There's a photo of Dr. Martin Luther King and the man of dignity, eloquent speaker, genius thinker and strategizer, civil rights hero, has his head down between his legs and his hands covering his head. See, he was on the west side of Chicago, peacefully marching with a group of people in the hope that the community would allow African Americans to live in a particular neighborhood. But in his nonviolent resistance, someone thought it right to chuck a rock at him and hit uh, Dr. King in the head. And what did he do? Did he get up and say, am I not a man? No, he took a different approach. He got low, grabbed his head, let the wound bleed. Someone asked him about this, inquired of him, and later he explained why he put himself at risk. He said, I have to do this to expose myself, to bring this hate into the open. You see, when Dr. King got low, the truth was revealed. Those are the haters. And he revolutionized our country. I may not be preaching here today because of my African-American heritage if it wasn't for his getting low. He entered the fight like Mayweather, ducking, bobbing, weaving. Do you see this? And he often got hit. And he received that. He relinquished his uh, right to say, I'm a man, how dare you? How can we respond to this, to David's response? The king, a legitimate king, anointed king of Israel. David seemed to know how to do something in particular. He knew how to embrace the sorrow. Our temptation is to fight against the sorrow, the injustice, but he embraced it. This is where I am. And out of that embracing the sorrow, he wrote two psalms, Psalm 57 and 142. He wrote about this experience in the cave, one, he's very um, just jubilant and praising, and the other one, he's just saying, God, oh God, oh God, I'm surrounded. So both are legitimate ways of, of getting low, crying out, trusting in him, and also saying, God, what's happening? This is not the way it's supposed to be. Psalm 57, for example, David acknowledges that he's surrounded in verse 4. God, I'm surrounded. Look at like lions, they want to bite at me. 
your own people. Then David cries to the Lord for help, a man who's not afraid to cry. Oh, God, I need your help. We can learn from that. Crying out to God. We could seethe with anger or we can cry out to God. It takes the same amount of energy. Verse 5, he abruptly changes tunes and he just begins praising God. Now he does really does sound a little bit crazy. He goes from just, God, I need, hallelujah, God, praise you. There's no one like you. You're above everything. You're above the heavens. You rule the oceans. You rule the earth. His heart turned. His perspective changed. His heart reminded him by the Holy Spirit that there is a higher authority. David submitted to God's authority. He submitted to the authority of an unjust king. Do we submit to authority? Is there any authority higher than ourselves? Are we the autonomous bots that get to make our decisions for our lives? God's allowed us this freedom to choose. Autonomy or submission to the greater authority. And those of you, uh, some of you may have experienced the abuse of authority by a judge, maybe by a parent maybe by a close friend, an acquaintance, and your heart rightfully rises up and says, no, I'm a person. You don't treat me like that. It rightfully rises up to say those things, but you can take that and give it to the Lord and say, God, I need you. Why is this happening? You can get low. Because God will vindicate you. He sees everything that's happened. He's seen every day of your life. And he cares for you. He loves you. He's taking close account. Things that you hadn't even noticed. Curse words that were sworn at you while you're driving down the road. You never heard. He's taking account. He sees everything. And he will vindicate you. In Christ. He will bring justice in the last day. And, and kids today, sometimes you experience injustice from your parents. I encourage you to bless your parents, to pray for them, and to go into your room and close the door and say, God, why did my dad treat me like that? It could be small or big. Maybe they withheld you from going to a dance and it was, it was uh, unjust. You go and you sit down in your room and you say, God, oh Lord, hear my cry. Vindicate me. Help me. Vindicating yourself will only get you grounded longer. So the secret is to getting low in conflicts with your spouse, conflicts at work, conflicts with the law. Get low. Get low. Get low. It demonstrates faith. I'm getting low because God is getting up. I'm getting low because God is in control. And my case will be proclaimed before the whole assembly of all humanity one day. And Jesus will have his hands on your back and says, Who dares speaks a word against my servant? And any offense not covered by the blood of Jesus will be accounted for in a severe fashion. 
So we must resist. We must resist vindicating ourselves. Just like the king of the cave did. Most legitimate man in Israel. Let's look also to the people of the cave. So let's see here. In verse 2, And everyone who is in distress, and everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is bitter in soul, gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So imagine David in that state I described him, spittle running down his beard, rife with sweat, hiding out. He's deep in a cave. He's praying probably. Oh, God, oh, God, send me help. Send me help, oh, Lord. You're faithful, you're just, you're true. You've anointed me for a reason, I'm sure. And then he hears a knock at the cave door. And he does what we all did, probably. He checks the peephole. Is this someone I want to see right now? And when he looks out, he sees a motley crew. People with lottery tickets stuffed in their pockets. Messed up hair, missing teeth. People who want to borrow money. People who are bored because they're just sitting around watching TV all day and heard David was in a cave. He sees this bunch of jokers and he says, no, thank you. <laughs> no soliciting. You see the sign on the cave. I put that there for a reason. No, that's not what David did. He opened the door and he said, you come on in. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, you bunch of rascals. Come on in. And everyone who is in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who is bitter in soul gathered to him. Wow. Those who are in this state are actually in, a, in an advantage. James, the brother of Jesus, writes, he says, those are who are in this lonely, lowly status of life are actually in a great position, and those who are wealthy are actually in a humble place. Now, let's not go too far and say that God, if you're blessed, if you're gifted today, that's, that's, there's no wrong in that. That's imaging God in a glorious way. But let me put it like this. God blesses the lowly. He doesn't neglect the gifted. He won't neglect the gifted. But he will gift the neglected. So this, this ba these band of people fall in three categories. Distress, extreme anxiety, sorrowful or in pain. Are you distressed? Are you depressed, do you wake up with a cloud looming over your head? Maybe it's physiological cloud, and you just wonder, why do I live in this distressed, frayed state of life? I must be far from God. No, actually quite the opposite. He wants the distressed. 
His door is open wide to the distressed. Are you in debt like me coming out of seminary? If you're in debt, you're in a great spot. Do you know why? Because you know that you need something. You're not autonomous. Amazon Prime makes us feel so autonomous. But when you're in debt, you realize, I need something. I'm broke. I need a handout. I need something for free. You're in the best position because guess what? We're all really in deep debt, in deep need. But those who are in physical debt realize it. A good friend of mine used to, used to give money to me in seminary, and uh, he, was, he was pretty well off, but he would also always say, Tyson, you're in a rich spot. You're in a rich spot because you know your need. So just soak it in. Raise your arms up and just bring your neediness to the Lord. Bring your debt to the Lord and say, God, I need you. I'm not autonomous. I can't pay my bills. I didn't come from a wealthy family. My father doesn't even acknowledge me. God, I need you. Here's the, here's the last group, the bitter in soul. That's the angry and the hurt and the resentful. Anybody in here angry, hurt, and resentful? Who just can remember